certainly appreciate the humble prayer this morning, and I enjoyed the song service, even sitting next to Brother Stephen, I David enjoy uh, Appreciate the opportunity to be able to be here with you today, and I certainly appreciate his invitation. I do count he and Sister Angel as dear friends, and, and they have been good to me over the years as has everyone here, and I, I'm just happy to be back with you today. Um, it was a long prayer list, and yet we rejoice. Um, I say that many times at a funeral, you know, we come here in sorrow, but yet we rejoice. We've got a wonderful God who is able to bless us even in times of trouble, and even in times of great loss. And so we, we place our faith and our trust in him. I was going to, I had on my mind this morning a subject that I had heard my dad preach. Uh, and it worried me a little bit. I said, well, I kind of, I don't want to be parroting dad, but I thought about it uh, Probably Brother Stevens preached from this subject as well, and uh, uh, most all preachers would have preached from whatever you can find in the Bible. The Bible's not changing. It's not like we find uh, a new section that we didn't have before, and we preach from that. So anything that we preach is going to be something that probably has been uh, has been preached about before. Right. But this just struck me, and it and it. Um, it stirred me. I thought about too that the Lord, the Lord Jesus told those uh, Pharisees and uh, religious leaders in the sixth chapter of John, 39th verse, he says, Search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. You think you have eternal life. Now, what he's telling them is you think you are going to earn eternal life. When you search the scriptures and you find what you need to do to present your case to God. But he cleared it up. He said, but they are they which testify of me. Now the Lord wasn't uh, preaching anything new to them. Even though they thought, well who's this man that comes on the scene here and starts telling us that, that he is the redeemer. And the truth of the matter is that. He was prophesied. Now, he wasn't talking about them searching the scriptures of the New Testament. He was talking about the Old Testament. And the Old Testament has time after time after time where prophecies of the Messiah coming are made. And now they've been fulfilled. And these men are still searching the scriptures, looking for, uh, thinking that they have eternal life in the scriptures. Our source of eternal life is told to us in the scriptures. But the scriptures themselves are not eternal life. It's not through study of the scriptures that you earn eternal life, but you can certainly be encouraged when you search these scriptures. Right. If you have your Bibles and like to turn with me, I'm going to try to take a message this morning from the fourth chapter of Galatians. Now, in this fourth chapter of Galatians, the... Uh, the Apostle Paul is writing here to all the churches that are in Galatia. He has established these churches in the truth, the truth of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when he left, they were in the truth. 
But then after that, some Judaizers came in and began to uh, confuse these brethren in the churches of Galatia. And the Apostle Paul wrote this letter back, and in the sixth, sixth verse of the first chapter, he said, I marvel, I marvel that ye are so soon removed from him that called you unto the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another. He clears that up, which is not another, but there is some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. These Judaizers are coming into the churches in Galatia and they're beginning to, to uh, tell them, yes, we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and he died for you, but you've got to keep the law in order to go to heaven. You've got to be circumcised in order to go to heaven. And it's beginning to confuse these brethren who are at the church of Galatia. Now, you may ask me, say, well, you know, Brother Thomas, why are you bringing up circumcision? That's not an issue today. We're not having anything like that in our churches, but false doctrine can be brought into our churches. You know, it, it, it marvels me sometimes when I think if you go far enough back with the Baptist church, it was just a Baptist church. And the, the doctrines and the articles of faith and the beliefs of the Baptist church are exactly what we have today. Right. The old Baptist didn't change. We're called primitive Baptists because we adhered to the original. That's right. The Bible didn't change, but someone came in and confused the brethren. Some people would preach that you have to be baptized in order to go to heaven. These were preaching you have to be circumcised in order to go to heaven. Now, I, I believe in baptism, but baptism is not going to perfect you for heaven. Baptism, baptism is not a requirement for you to be in heaven. The Apostle Peter tells us that baptism is the answer of a good conscience toward God. Now, when, when the Lord comes into your life and changes you and you have a new heart and you are a new creature, you have, a, you have a desire to know more about Him. You have a desire to draw closer to Him and you ask some questions. You remember at Pentecost, it's one of the great times you see that, that, that new birth on a grand scale. 3,000 were converted that day. And what did they do? They cried out, men and brethren, what must we do? And the Apostle Paul stood up and preached to him one of the best uh, sermons you can read next to the Lord's sermons. And um, he said, repent and be baptized. That was the two instructions. That's what they must do. Not to be perfected for heaven, but because they were pricked in their hearts. Because they were looking for a way forward that was, that was um, in accordance with the will of God. And that's what Peter told them, repent and be baptized. I tell all of God's children that I get a chance to. You need to repent and be baptized. Uh, Dad, Dad said when he was preaching this, and, and I heard him, he said, I, I wish I had the authority to scare people into thinking they need to get baptized because there's so many of God's children out there who don't get baptized, who don't join the church. But they come every, every time, you know, and they're very faithful. But for whatever reason, they never join the church. They ought to do it. Right. They should do it. Right. But if we stood up here and told you, if you don't do it, 
you're going to go to hell, then we're telling you a lie. A little child of God, if the Lord Jesus Christ died for you, if he called you, if you're one of his, I'll tell you, you're going to be with him in heaven. Amen. There's no doubt about that. You don't have to go to bed and say, I hope I did enough. Because you can do anything. The Lord died for your sins. The Lord paid that debt. The Lord presented him himself a perfect sacrifice. The Lord presented his blood to his father and he... He paid your price. That, that sacrifice was sufficient. That, do you believe in a sufficient Savior Amen. this morning? That's, that's what we want to hear the truth about. And these Galatian brothers would be in trouble by that. And he tells them, I marvel. I marvel that you so, so quickly that you are, are removed from this gospel. He, said, he goes on and says, but though we are an angel, from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. The Lord does not want people coming in confusing his children. Let them be accursed. That's what he said. Throw them out the door. Don't allow them in to confuse the people. When you hear doctrine that is preached that is, that is blasphemous, when you hear something that is not according to the scriptures that we find in, in, the, uh, in the Bible that we, that we read and study, and just like the, um, the Lord said that we search the scriptures, when we find somebody coming in preaching contrary to that, or preaching from another Bible other than the, than the King James Version, we shouldn't hear them. Right. You shouldn't listen to them. And that's what he's telling these. Let them be accursed. If an angel came in and preached a different gospel than what I preached to you, let him be accursed. That's, that's a strong statement, isn't it? He must mean that a lot. He must really feel that down deep. It's important to know the truth. You know, the Lord says, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. You know, the worst thing I think that we can suffer under, and I see many of God's children do it, is suffering under the delusion that we're not free of our sin debt. That we somehow still have a price that we must pay in order to help God. That's a, that's a terrible place to be in. That's where these brethren ended up. He goes in and starts down here in the 19th verse of the fourth chapter. Now, um, you know, I, I don't like a, and, and sometimes I, I think I do this, I get a tone in my voice that sounds, you know, almost um, uh, cynical or, 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 you know, looking down on people or saying something that, you know, is not, not intended to sound the way it sounds. I don't like a preacher to just preach down to me. And I, I won't be encouraged. I, I I love to be encouraged. I know there's times we need, we need to be corrected as, as well. And you need to hear that, but even that needs to be given in love. And the apostle here comes in in the 19th verse. He said, my little children. Now he's upset with them. He doesn't, he, he, he's marveling that they so quickly removed from the gospel that he, that he, that he established with them and that he, that he established them in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. But rather than just drop the hammer on him, he says, My little children, of whom travaileth, I travaileth in birth again until Christ be formed in you. He says, I'm going to go back and do this again. He said, Now, he didn't bring about their new birth. No. 
But he established them in the truth of the gospel when he established the church there. They were already born again or they wouldn't have even been sitting out there. They wouldn't have been interested in it. They were children of God or, or they could not have seen the Lord Jesus Christ. But he says, I'm going to travail with you again until, be, until Christ be formed in you. There may be somebody that comes into the church here that's a little child of God. That feels the need of their Savior. And yearns to know more about him. But doesn't understand all that he should know. He's here to learn. Christ is being formed in him. He's learning about Christ. Christ is just as mighty in him in the beginning as he is in the end. But it means so much more to that little child of God when he fully relates and harmonizes with that spirit within him. When he begins to do that. And I'll tell you, each one of us has that challenge today. We need to be, we need to be seeking the Lord every day of our lives. We need to be uh, searching the scriptures. We need to be reading about about our Savior. We need to be learning what we can. What we're able to do then is put on the whole armor of God. And when we do that, we can resist the devil and we can resist false doctrine. That's right. And that's important. Amen. You know, if you can be washed about or, or just tossed about with, uh, with false doctrine, then the church itself is, uh, is, is upset and it's in danger of departing from the truth. You've got to know what you believe and you've got to stand for, for the truth in the gospel. And so he says, I'm going to travail again with you until Christ be formed in you. He said, we're going to reestablish you in the truth. I believe is what he's saying here. Down in the 22nd verse, he says, For it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondmaid, the other by a free woman. But he who was of the bondmaid was born of the flesh. But he of the free woman was born of promise. Which is an allegory. Now what he's saying is, an allegory is, he's going to take this example of, of, um, of Ishmael, who was born to Agar, and Isaac, who was born to Sarah, and he's going to paint a picture for them. He's going to show how this represents what he's trying to tell them and trying to get them to understand about how it is that they do have eternal life. One was born of the, uh, of the bond woman. The other was born of the free woman and was the child of promise, which things are an allegory. For these are the two covenants. The one, the first covenant, from Mount Sinai. Which gendereth unto bondage, which is Agar. Now, that first covenant was the covenant that was given between Moses and the Lord when he gave him the law. You know, the Lord went up on the mountain and he got the law. The children of Israel were the chosen children of, of God and he gave them not just the Ten Commandments. He gave them ceremonial law. He gave them practical laws. He gave, gave them the uh, sacrificial laws. He gave all kinds of laws to them. And you know what? To, remember what, to, what uh, Christ said. You're searching the scriptures and you're finding, you think that you have eternal life in the scriptures by keeping that law. Now they're going over and telling these Christians, you've got to keep that law as well if you're going to go to heaven, even though Christ died for you. And so he says the first 
uh, uh, these are the two covenants, the one from Mount Sinai, which gendereth unto bondage, which is Agar. For this Agar is Mount Sinai and, and Arabia, and answereth to Jerusalem, which now is, and is in bondage with her children. Now, you take a, a little child of God, and he, and he feels those 3,000 at, at Pentecost, they cried out, men and brethren, what must we do? Why were they crying out? Because they realized what they'd done. They realized their sin debt. They realized that what Apostle Peter and it was telling them is true. The Lord Jesus Christ is our Redeemer. The Lord Jesus Christ is the Messiah. He came into this world. They, they are believing that, but now they don't know what to do. And a little child of God, many times when he gets in that condition, will run to the mountain. He'll run to Sinai. He'll run to the law. What am I going to do? What am I going to do because of this, this sin debt? What did the poet say? Uh, he said, uh, to, Mount, to, to, to Mount Sinai I, I, I flew, but this mountain cried, no, justice cried with a frowning face, this mountain is no hiding place. Now, I can't remember that all, all but... But what he's saying is, you're not going to find comfort at this mountain. The law is good, but we can't keep the law. We can't keep the law to perfect ourselves. We can do good as a child of God. We can try, and we can work, and we should do that. We should remove ourselves from sin every chance we get, whenever we can. We should flee from sin. But we're going to be sinners. We are sinners. We're going to fall short. If you think you can um, keep that law so perfectly that you can present that case to God and say, I'm the reason I should be in heaven. I have perfected myself before you. Think about it. That's what, they was, that's what we'd be doing. Then you're fooling yourself if you think that. I have a friend who thinks he doesn't sin because he's, he's been baptized. I said, you're, just, you're fooling yourself. I said, first of all, I know you sin because you're lying to me, because you're telling me you're not sinning. <laughs> and he just, he, he believes that. And he's living his life to try to please God in order to go to heaven. I had another good friend who passed away. I tried to, I tried to comfort him before he passed away. He said, maybe I've told you all this before, but he said, I, I just worry so much, I'm going to live right up to the end and do just like I ought to, and then at the end, I'm going to mess up, and, and, and I'm going to go to hell. I said, brother, I got some good news for you. You, you can't mess it up. If the Lord died, and I believe the Lord died for this man. He was a good, godly man, all kinds of fruit. You could see uh, God in him. He loved, he loved his neighbor. He loved the Lord first. He was a, he was a child of God, I believe, in my heart. But he was a troubled child of God that was running to the mountain. And that's what he said. This Agar is Mount Sinai and answereth to Jerusalem, which now is. But Jerusalem, which is above. That's the Jerusalem I want to talk to you about this morning. The Jerusalem, which is above, is free. Which is the mother of us all. Now, Isaac represented the... the Jerusalem that is above. Isaac was a child of promise. Now we brethren as Isaac, as Isaac was, are the children of promise. You remember what happened 
the, uh, uh, Abraham was there in the wilderness, and or he was there in Canaan, I think, and, and the Lord came, came to him and said, I believe it was the Lord. I, I believe it was the Lord. There's three men, and I believe God came to him, and he said, Sarah is going to have a child. Now, Sarah had already tried to help, help God, sent Abraham into her handmaid. And I'll tell you, every time we try to help God, we ain't, we're not helping God doesn't need any help. God certainly doesn't need our help. We need his help. And, and so they're trying to, they're going to help God, and, they send, and she sends Abraham into the, the bondmaid, and, and she conceived. But these three men came to Abraham, and he said, your wife is going to conceive. Sarah is going to conceive. And Sarah heard it in the tent, and she laughed within herself. And the Lord said, why, why did you laugh? Is anything too hard for God? Now, I want to tell you, if we don't get much else out of this lesson today, let's get that out of it. There's nothing too hard for God. That's right. There is nothing that God cannot accomplish if he has a, his will is to accomplish it. I, I, and, and that's the God we, we, we believe in. That's, you know, so many people want, want to paint a God that, that doesn't have all power in heaven and earth. A God that offers salvation but can't provide it unless you let him. That's not the God of the Bible. No. Is anything too hard for God? No, it's not. And, and she, said, she was so frightened by that, she said, I didn't laugh. But if you read that, I believe it's in the 21st or 22nd chapter of Genesis. He says, within her, she laughed. So maybe she was thinking, I really didn't laugh out loud, but he heard me anyway. <laughs> Is anything too hard for God? So let's turn. Um, so, so she has a child. She has Isaac. Now let me tell you something. Isaac, if you, if you take Abraham and you take... Sarah, Sarah was 90, Abraham was 100, or 99. In nature, they're not going to have a child, are they? But God promised them they were going to have a child. Is anything too hard for God? And in the, in the season, that, uh, in, the, in the proper season, she conceived and had a child. That was a child of promise. God promised her she was going to have a child, and that's exactly what, what happened. God promised us that the Lord Jesus Christ was coming into this world. He shall, he shall save his people from their sins. His people will be saved from their sins. That's a promise from God. This was a promise to Sarah from God. This is an allegory. This allegory is pointing to the children of God. He's using this to point to the children of God, and they are the children of promise, just like Isaac was. And so he's, he then turns and quotes uh, the 54th chapter of Isaiah, and I want to go over there, but I want to read this uh, right before I do. It says, For it is written, Rejoice, thou barren that bearest not. Break forth and cry, thou that travailest not. For the desolate hath many more children than she which hath a husband. And he says, Now, now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are the children of promise. He's t giving them an allegory, the the the... Child of the, of the bondwoman, which is, um, is, is pointing to the law, and Isaac, that is the child of promise. And he's using the 54th chapter 
to underscore that we now, the children of God, are the children of promise, just like Isaac was. He goes over to, let's go over this 54th chapter, and we're going to go back into the 53rd just for a minute, in, in a minute. In the 54th it says, Sing, O barren, thou that didst not bear. Break forth into singing and cry aloud, thou that didst not travail with child. For more are the, are the children of the desolate than the children of the married wife, saith the Lord. What has this barren woman got to sing about? You know, if you look at most anybody who is barren, they will spend just about all the money they've got to try to have children. Right. I've seen it. They, want to, they don't want to be barren, and they're certainly not happy about it. And when they, when they want to have children, there's nothing to sing about. But he's telling, them, telling this woman to sing. And then he tells her this, Enlarge the place of thy tent. And let them stretch forth the curtains of thine habitation. He says, make your place bigger. You're going to have a lot of children, but you're barren. What have you got to sing about? Let's, let's go back to the 53rd chapter just for a moment. And I want you to think about, because these two chapters tied directly together. The, first, the 53rd chapter is talking about a man. Now, we all know what man is that the, the 53rd chapter is talking about because we had the benefit of the, the book of Acts where Philip joined himself to the eunuch who was reading the 53rd chapter of, uh, of uh, uh, Isaiah. And, and he, well, he walked up to him and the Spirit told him, join yourself to this chariot. And he said, knowest thou what thou readest? And he said, understandest thou what thou readest? And he says, he says how can I? How can I unless some man show me? And so Philip got up into the chariot and he preached unto him from the same place, the Lord Jesus Christ. This chapter is talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at what it says here in the seventh verse. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. For he is brought as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before her shears is dumb, so he opened not, openeth not his mouth. Doesn't that describe the Lord Jesus Christ? Yes. When he was taken into, into custody, he was brought as a sheep to his shears, um, but he opened not his mouth. He could have brought down fire from heaven. He could have walked right out of there if he had wanted to. He could have done anything, but he submitted himself to that. Five times in this little chapter, he is used. Twenty-five times in, I mean, five times in that verse. Twenty-five times in that chapter, he, him, uh, himself is used. It's talking about a man. It's talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if you didn't have benefit of knowing from the uh, uh, book of Acts who it was, you'd be like the eunuch, wouldn't you? I would too. He said, is this man, is this man talking about himself? Or is he talking about someone else? And Philip preached to him the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this 53rd chapter talks about him and, and his and the Lord Jesus Christ and a man. The 54th chapter begins to talk about a barren woman. And it tells her to enlarge her tent. It doesn't make sense when you think about it. You know, uh, when, you're, when you're first married and, you, and you, you and your wife set up the house, it's just you and her, you... you a two-bedroom house or one-bedroom. My first house was a one-bedroom house with one bath. It was plenty for us. We were happy there. 
I like that little house. But pretty soon, you know, we had a child. That one bedroom wasn't enough anymore. We had to make it bigger. Then we had another child and had to get bigger. It's telling her here, enlarge the place of thy tent and let them stretch forth the curtains of thine habitation. Spare not, lengthen thy cords and strengthen thy stakes, for thou shalt break forth on the right hand and on the left, and thy seed shall inherit, shall inherit the Gentiles and make the desolate cities to be inhabited. Who is he talking about here? Who is this woman? I believe this woman is a church. I don't think that's a big revelation. I think all the preachers believe that woman is the church. Most of you know that woman is the church. And that, that woman has a husband. And that woman, did you know the church cannot produce children of God? The church is desolate in that regard. The promise, the, the, the Jerusalem which is above, which is from heaven, are the, the children of God. And when they come into the church, they come by the power of God. It is, it is God that quickeneth a child of God, makes him alive. The church can't produce him. You know, somebody come to that door right now and say, you know, Let's say they, they, they heard somebody say, you're going you're gonna to die and go to hell if you don't get yourself straightened out. And they get scared. And they come walking through that door and they say, Brother Stephen, I want you to help me. He said, I want you to, to make me a child of God. I want you to quicken me. How much, how much authority and how much effect do you think Brother Stephen could have if that man hadn't been quickened? We can't do that. Preachers certainly can't do it. The congregation can't do it. Only God can do that. You hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sin. He is, is, is the Spirit of God. He is God doing the work there. And he quickens every one of his little children. So he, he goes on down. He says, fear not to the, to the church. Fear not, for thou shalt not be ashamed, neither be thou confounded, for thou shalt not be put to shame, for thou shalt forgive the shame of thy youth, and shalt not remember the reproach of thy widowhood anymore. What would she have to be ashamed about? And it was the, the barrenness. Women, if a woman is not able to have children, sometimes she feels shame about that. Maybe it's something she did or something. That's shame. There can be shame in that. But he said, don't be ashamed. You're going to have many children. You're going to, you're going to, you're going, your tent's going to blow up. <laughs> That's something to think about, isn't it? But she's barren. But she's not going to be barren when the promise is realized. She's going to be filled. When was she a widow? For three nights and three days, the Lord was in that grave. And she was a widow at that time. But praise be to God, he came out of that grave. That's right. He says, the reproach of thy widowhood will be remembered no more. Now, if you're, if you're uh, questioning me about this, my analysis, that this is, a, this is a church and the 53rd chapter is the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to what he says. For thy maker is thine husband. 
Thy maker is thine husband. The Lord of hosts is his name. And thy redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, the God of the whole earth shall he be called. Now she has reason to sing. She should be singing. She has a husband. His husband is her redeemer. His husband has made a promise. Her husband has made a promise. And that promise is that her tent is, is going to be filled. The children of promise are from the Jerusalem that is above. And he's telling these in, in, the, um, in Galatia, these churches in Galatia, that you need to understand where your salvation comes from. You need to understand that you're not earning salvation yourself. You need to understand that you can't be perfect enough to do that. You need to not be confused about what you're doing and what God's doing. God promised us something. And so we can sing about it. We can be, we can be, we did sing this morning. I enjoyed the song service this morning. It was lively. I told Brother, Brother Stephen, I said, I don't believe I've ever sung some of those songs as, as lively as we sang them. But I enjoyed it. We were, we were singing. And it says, uh, for this is the waters, this is as the waters of Noah unto me. You know, the waters of Noah, the Lord promised Noah that he'd never flood this earth again. Now, if you ever see, which we wouldn't see, but if every mountain in the earth is covered with water again, then the Lord didn't keep his promise, did he? You believe it'll ever be covered? I don't. I don't believe so. Just as sure as that promise is, the promise of the children of God is just as sure. When God makes a promise, you can count on it. It ain't like these political promises you see. It's not like what we see out of Washington. It's not like what you see out of City Hall or out of the county. It's a sure, a promise from God is sure. There's surety in it. And he goes on down and he says, In righteousness shalt thou be established. Whose righteousness? Our own? That's what these guys were trying to do, establish their righteousness by telling them they had to be circumcised. Well, when you're circumcised, that's an, that's an effort they're making, and they are perfecting themselves before God. They're you putting that in because they've searched the Scriptures and somehow come to the uh, conclusion that that's necessary. But it's not their righteousness. <coughs> there shalt be far from oppression. It's the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the righteousness of God that establishes. For thou shalt not fear, and from terror, for it shall not come. Behold, they shall surely gather together, but not by me. He's saying, this bride, the church... It's going to have enemies. And there are enemies of the church. I think everybody knows that. Certainly Satan's the biggest one we got. He's an enemy of the church. There are, there are false prophets and there are false people that come in and try to confuse the children of God. I don't say prophets. I don't know if we've got any more prophets coming in. I, I, but false teachers come in and try to confuse us if we're not careful. I, I haven't seen it in our churches and I hope I never do. But there are enemies that will come against the church. But what did the Lord Jesus Christ say when he talked to Peter? He said, who do you say that I am? And Peter said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. 
And he said, Blessed are thou, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood hath not revealed this to thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And upon this rock, not Peter as the rock, upon this rock, this knowledge, this promise, this Lord, this, this Jesus Christ, I'll build my church. He's building, he, he built his church upon that promise. He built his church upon the second covenant that was re- referred to in in there, which is the covenant between the Lord Jesus Christ, his, his Father, witnessed by the Holy Spirit before time began. And the Lord gave him a people. It's just plain as day in the scriptures that the Lord gave him a people. Ephesians, first chapter, fourth verse would make it pretty quick. He, had, he chose us before the foundation of the world. And he gave us to his son. And his son said, I came into this world not to do mine own will, but the will of the Father that sent me. And this is the Father's will that has sent me, that of every one he gave me, I lose nothing, but raise it up again in the last day. In the book of John, he said that, and that is sure. But what he said, too, when he's talking to Peter He said, upon this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now he says here, behold, they shall surely gather together. He didn't say the gates of hell won't come against it. He said they won't prevail against it. He said, but not by me. Whosoever shall gather together against thee shall fall for thy sake. Behold, I have created a smith that bloweth the coals in the fire, and that bringeth forth an instrument for his work. And I have created the mastery to destroy, the, the waster to destroy. No weapon that is formed. You know what a smith does. He makes weapons. He makes swords. He makes spears. He makes all kind of weapons. That can come against you. I don't think he's talking about literal spears and swords, but he's talking about spiritual weapons. They're not going to prosper. No weapon that is formed against thee shall prosper, and every tongue that shall rise against thee in judgment thou shalt condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is of me. You remember what he said up there? In righteousness shalt thou be established, not our righteousness. The righteousness of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is of him. If we have any righteousness, Righteousness has been imputed to us by the Lord Jesus Christ. And we have harmony with that spirit that lives within us. And hopefully we do righteous things. But don't stand up and puff up your chest because you're being, you're being indwelled by the Spirit of God. Christ, said, Christ uh, in, in Romans 10, 4, the, the Bible says Christ is the end of the law for righteousness. That's what he was telling these brothers at Galatia. That's what I can tell you this morning. I'm not saying that the law is a bad thing, but the law condemns us. The law's perfect. The Lord gave it. And if if he says, all right, you keep this law, and everybody that keeps this law perfect, I'll take the heaven with me. We're in a mess. And that's what what he's telling these, these Galatian brothers. That's what I'm telling you this morning. Rejoice. That your sin debt's been paid. Rejoice that the Lord 
is the end of the law for righteousness. He kept the law to the jot and the tittle. He did that that we could not do. It was the Lord Jesus Christ that, that was the perfect sacrifice, not us. It just irritates me when I hear people telling um, uh, other people or even preaching sometimes if you, if you get into some of these places like you see on TV and say this is what you got to do and the Lord wants to but he can't do it unless you let him. And it just irritates me to hear that. I don't like to see somebody bring the Lord down and try to handle him. And too many, too many times in the world today you see people who, who believe they've got a Lord that they can talk to. But every time I've seen anybody in the presence of the Lord, they're overwhelmed. They're not. You know, the children of Israel would not even go up on the mountain of Sinai. They didn't want to touch it. They, they, weren't, they couldn't or they would die. But even when they thought maybe they were going to have to go up a little bit, they, they, they said, no, you go up, Moses. You talk for us. I don't, we don't even, you, we'll do what you say. You tell us what God said. Moses stands before, before the Lord the first time and he said, take your shoes from off your feet. The ground that you're standing on is holy ground. When the Lord, at the Mount of Transfiguration, when God talked to Peter and, and John and James, they fell down and, and were, were just in shock from his voice. And the Lord, I picture this, you know, they knock down there and they're scared to death because Peter has just got his foot in his mouth. We'll build three tabernacles. Men it well, but it was, it, it, it was not the thing to say. And the Lord said, this is my beloved son. Hear ye him. Right. And then they fell down. I see them then with their eyes closed, you know, with their hands over their head. You see, don't you know they were scared? Next thing I knew, the Lord touched them. And he said, get up, let's go. The Lord touched them. We've got a big God. That's right. We don't we don't have we don't have a little God that, that is unable. We don't have a redeemer that took the took the uh, process as far as he could and stopped and now it's up to us to finish it up for him. We're not gonna get anybody into heaven ourselves. We're not gonna get ourselves into heaven. We look to a risen Savior. And there's nothing we can do to perfect ourselves before God. And I praise God because there's nothing we can do to separate ourselves from the love that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, because of all that, we ought to live our lives the way he tells us to. Not, not in order to obligate him, not in order to perfect ourselves, but because we have such a wonderful Savior. I pray that's what our effort will be. And I pray as doing that, we can take comfort knowing that we are secure in his love. I think there's a song that we're safe in his love. I want to be safe, don't you? In this world, being safe, you know, you can't go hardly anywhere. I'm having to walk around with my wife right now. Uh, she's campaigning to go to, uh, uh, to try to get elected to the school board. And some of the neighborhoods we have to go into are unsavory, I'll say that, you know. <laughs> and so I, I probably ought not say this in the pulpit, but I stick a little pistol in my pocket when I go into those neighborhoods. I don't make a show out of it, but I, I will not let her go there at all by herself because of the crime rate we've got coming out of those neighborhoods. Now I pray for those people and I have nothing against them and I'm over there talking to them about, you know, voting and that sort of thing, but I don't feel safe. I don't feel safe. 
But in the love of my Savior, I feel secure and safe. And it just warms my heart when I think about a loving Savior that we have. And I, I kind of think, well, you got to put yourself in the Lord's hands. So go on in there, you know. And but maybe I'm maybe I'm falling short by not just saying, "Our right, Lord, I'm trusting you." But if I do that, then I say, "Lord, I'm gonna trust you. I'm gonna send my wife on in there by herself." But I think it gives us discernment to know how to act in this world, where to go, where not to go. When you when you uh, and to take precautions and things, and I think we should do that. Same thing. I've heard some some people say they won't go to the doctor because they just trust in the Lord. To well, the Lord gave us those doctors, right. and the Lord gives us enough sense to know when we're in danger and when we're not. I, I was going to tell you a quick story about the the guy that died and went to heaven, and he got up there. And he he died in a flood. And a boat came by and a helicopter came by and, and he was just trusting in the Lord. He wouldn't get on either one of them. And, and when he got up there, he asked, well, why did, I die? why did you let me die? I thought you said you'd protect. He said, I sent two boats and a helicopter. <laughs> now, the Lord takes care of his people. Right. The Lord loves us, but he gives us sense too. And I think we ought to use that sense to serve him. We ought to learn as much as we can about him and then serve him the best that we can. Trust him and enjoy the safety that's provided by the eternal salvation that is provided through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. May he bless you is my prayer and may he add his blessing to this meager. Amen. Amen. Amen.